We're going to look at a verse in Proverbs chapter 16, and this will be verse 18. And I really uh, want to talk about the subject material of stepping into the glory and knowing how to maintain that experience with the Lord so that the glory is continually manifested. Let's talk about that today, but uh, let's open up with prayer. Heavenly Father, as we go into your word, we ask that your Holy Spirit would come now with quickening power to illuminate the scriptures that it would be a living word to us. Now, Father, we thank you for the ministry and the work of your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, and together we say, Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Let's take a look at a verse uh, in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18. It says that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Now, this is very important because anytime that you have a victory, anytime you have manifestation of the spirit, anytime you've had a, a glorious moment with God or something where uh, there has been achievement, there has been a breakthrough. You have to understand that human nature tends to want to take credit. The fleshly, fallen Adamic nature wants to somehow say, Lord, aren't I special? Aren't I wonderful? And, you know, in, uh, in the eyes of God, we are His children. He does love us. But my friends, it's very important that we give all the glory to the Lord uh, for every good thing that takes place in our life. And even in trials or difficulties, we need to be praising the Lord during those times as well. But uh, there's somewhat of an, a warning here because pride arrogance, a haughty spirit uh, is something that you have to be on guard because whenever there's a breakthrough, uh, the enemy sees that and he often is planning very quickly a counterattack. And if you're walking around uh, now with a attitude of arrogance or superiority, then he's already got you set up to fall into something that he has already pre-planned as immediate counterattack to that blessing of the Lord. Here's the good thing. If you will stay humble, then you also stay untouchable uh, in the eyes of the enemy. He wishes he could get you, but many times it's just like the the fowler, the person who's trying to trap birds back in ancient days, they would lay the net out, but preferably you're putting the net out when the birds aren't around. Well, if the birds see it, you know, they may have tiny brains, but they're smart enough to realize, hey, that guy's trying to capture us. Well, it's the same way with the enemy. If you walk in humility and do not allow yourself, even in great times of blessing or breakthrough, if you do not allow yourself to get lifted up in pride, then you can actually see the snare that the enemy has laid for you, and you won't step into it. You'll go right around it. You won't engage that setup of a conversation that's intended to uh, trap you or ensnare you. You won't engage this other trap. You'll just go right around it. And that's the grace of God. So really to walk in the glory of the Lord, you have to be constantly aware of the danger to allow yourself to get lifted up in pride. And there's various types of glory. There's the glory that we see 
in the house of God in meetings when we come together as a body of believers where uh, perhaps there's miracles and you know you get so excited about miracles who doesn't right it's it's glorious it's there's an element of glory in that uh, you see healings you see people getting saved and you have these glory moments well it's important to stay humble to stay on your knees in prayer so that in the midst of the glory pride does not slip in but see it's not just what we would call revival glory or glory in the house of God but you can be experienced the Lord's blessing in your life and you find yourself in financial glory where the finances are just coming in supernaturally and you know God's supplying it well you know you're you're happy and and you're rejoicing but at the same time watch out for arrogance watch out for haughty spirit where perhaps you begin to uh act differently and act like you know that you're you know better than others and things like that watch out for that because that's the human flesh nature that tries to come in usually during times of blessing usually during times of breakthrough and if you aren't careful if you aren't careful, then pride can come in, and whenever there's pride, uh, eventually there is going to be a slip, a fall, and some type of a very negative thing can happen. So we want to stay humble. I, I felt led to talk about this because of the glory. People say, Pastor Stephen, I want to get in the glory. Well, God's glory can manifest, but I think that the Lord wants us to be prepared for it, wants us to steward the outpouring of the Spirit and to stay humble praise God and when we do that we will greatly walk in the blessings of God and even in the midst of the glory if you make a mistake then just repent as quickly as possible so that the glory uh, can return you know the uh, very gifted Bible teacher Walter Butler who's now in heaven with the Lord he talked about a mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit in one of the Bible colleges that he was that he was at, he was a teacher, but Brother Butler was the man that the Holy Spirit tapped to be the steward of the revival. He's the one that the Holy Spirit would work through to know the structure and the order of what God would want to do each day in the meetings. And he was the only one getting those instructions from heaven. And so he knew what songs were supposed to be sung. He knew who was supposed to give a testimony. He knew who the Holy Spirit had given a message to. And uh, he would allow that divinely ordered flow to take place in the meetings. And, and it would run beautifully as long as they were going with that flow of the Holy Spirit. But he talked about the time where he he made a mistake in the meeting in the glory when the glory was fully flowing and uh, the Lord's presence was there and he, he made a mistake and he said something wrong in the wrong place and the wrong time and immediately uh, the glory of the Lord just immediately departed and uh, left left uh, the sanctuary well when something like that happens there's no use in pretending that everything is still going great he just uh, he realized that, you know, the Holy Spirit is left. So he just closed the meeting down and he went back to his room and he talks about how later that night, the Lord Jesus came and visited him and woke him up. And when the Lord came, the Lord was actually singing a song. And the first stanza of the song was very, very nice, very beautiful. But the second stanza 
troubled Brother Butler because it talked about repentance and it uh, it talked about having made a mistake and then needing to make things right. And uh, Brother Butler was listening to the Lord sing this song in a vision. And Brother Butler said, Lord, I've, I've missed it somewhere. Where did I miss it at? And the Lord told him, you made the same mistake that Uzzah made when he touched the ark. Remember that? Remember that in the Old Testament, the priests were commanded by God to carry the Ark of the Covenant on the staves, on the poles, but they weren't doing that. They had put it on a cart. The cart was being pulled by a beast of burden, and it's being transported wrong. And so when the animals pulling it stumble, it looked like the Ark was going to tip over. Uzzah reached out and put his hand on it and died instantly. God, uh, God killed him instantly. And David was just like, whoa, 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 I can't, I can't handle this. This is, this is like trying to like move radioactive material. And, uh, uh, but see, the thing was, is David was transporting it the wrong way. And, uh, as a unknowing, uh, see, see, here's the thing. Even if you don't know, you're still not exempt. You should know, especially in areas like this. And so what happened in that revival meeting when the glory was being poured out and something was getting off track, Brother Butler reached out and touched it, but he touched it the wrong way and it killed the service. If he'd have been in the Old Testament, it would have killed him. Aren't you glad you're in the new covenant with grace? Or if you make a mistake, the Holy Spirit can teach you and you can learn and you can get it right the next time and also be forgiven. So Brother Butler said, Lord, what did I do? What, the, what mistake did I make? And the Lord told him, you made the same mistake that Uzzah did. You touched the ark, you touched the glory, and that's why it killed the meeting. And the, the Lord explained to him how he had spoken uh, the wrong way with the wrong tone and uh, and so forth. So Brother Butler said, Lord, what do I need to do? He said, you need to repent before the entire assembly, before all the believers. Now remember, he's He's the preeminent Bible teacher at the college, and the Lord's telling him, you have to go before the whole group and repent before them. And so uh, what does that mean? It means swallow your pride. It means eat some carpet. Never done that before? I've had to do that before. Is it fun? No, it feels like you're dying. And technically, your flesh nature is. Woo! So the next day, the meetings are back on because it was an outpouring of the spirit. The spirit of God is moving again. And it came time towards the communion service and brother Butler sensed in his spirit. Now's the time that I need to stand up and repent. And it became a very strong impulse. Do it now. And he stood up and the students, you could tell the students were just like, we're willing to overlook it. Don't you know, you don't need to say anything about it, but he knew, no, I need to publicly let the people know that what I did was wrong. And so he apologized before the whole assembly and repented. And the moment that he repented, a young man there at the Bible college, because there's, there's a, uh, several hundred Bible college students there, a young man stood up and gave a prophecy that was so powerful. Brother Butler said that he knew the prophecy was for him. And the young man said something along this line uh, about Brother Butler. He said, thus says the Lord, because you have repented and you have made this right with me, I will therefore send you to the nations as a prophet and I will bless your ministry. And of course, after that, Brother Butler was launched into a what we would call an international global type ministry, and he ministered in 
over 100 nations. And Brother Butler said, he said, I, later in his life, he said, I have a strong feeling that if I had not repented that day and humbled myself of my pride, then the international ministry that God opened up for me, he said, I don't believe it ever would have happened if I had not repented. So my friends, when things are going great, when the glory is here, because it's coming, you, you need to know how to reverence the Lord. You need to know how to reverence proper authority. Uh, I'm talking about the pastor, the, the associate pastors, the elders. There, there, there's government in the church, and it's established by the Lord. You need to know how God works through government. Be respectful of that. You need to know how to conduct yourself in the glory uh, with the reverence and the spirit of the fear of the Lord. And I tell you what, when we do this and walk in humility, then the glory keeps rolling then the glory keeps rolling. Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. So I, I just, I, I, I feel led to give you words of preparation to step into the glory, to step into the glory, stay in a place of humility. Now, here's a couple of notes I wrote down in light of this. God in his wisdom allows righteous suffering in our lives in order to develop humility in us. I want to say it one more time, and then I want to explain it. I don't want anybody to take this the wrong way, but listen to this. God in his wisdom allows righteous suffering to occur in our lives in order to develop humility within us. Now, let me continue by saying this. We are not called by God to suffer anything that Jesus redeemed us from at Calvary. In other words, you don't need to go through sin to experience suffering. Jesus has redeemed you from sin, so you don't need to think, well, I'll just try this sin out to see what it's like to suffer from the consequences of it. No, that's not what we're talking about. Well, Pastor Stephen, perhaps we should suffer with sickness and disease in order to relate to the Lord. No, Jesus redeemed you from sickness and disease. Don't open yourself up to that, thinking this is some type of suffering that God's putting on you in order to know Him better. See, we're not talking about things he's redeemed you from sin, sickness, disease, lack, insufficiency, poverty, things like that. He has delivered you from those things. You don't need to suffer that because you have been redeemed from that. But there are other types of suffering that as you walk with the Lord, you will find yourself unable to escape it and unable to get away from it. Mm praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And I think uh, some of these types of sufferings are the requirement to walk in humility. And God will allow you to experience the taste of certain things, just like Jesus went through, so that you can identify with his sufferings. And many of these are associated with the walk of humility. Whoa, praise the Lord. Now, there is righteous suffering in persecution, when you are being persecuted because of your faith and you're being persecuted because of your biblical beliefs, because of your biblical moral values. And you know, because of that, you may have family members that don't like you. They don't want you over because they want to watch stuff on TV. That's uh, very, very awful. I'm talking about really bad movies. So they don't want you over because they want to have fun and you ruin their fun. If you come over, perhaps you have, you know, uh, friends at work that they are they are nice to you but they don't want you to really be their buddy buddy because 
they like to talk about things that are not good. They like to engage in things, uh, even perhaps not only after work, but maybe even during work that, you know, Hey, that's, that's not something I want to be a part of because I'm a Christian. And because of that, you're not fully accepted in, into their, their group. And so you, you sense that isolation treatment, you sense, uh, you, you sense that, and look, everybody wants to belong, uh, People in many ways have some of the same similarities as horses, or maybe I should say it like this. This is more accurate. Horses have some of the same similarities as people and horses even more so have a tremendous desire to belong to a herd. If you want to put a horse under great stress and anxiety, then separate it from the herd and don't let it belong with the others. It's, it's absolute torment for her, uh, a horse. So for us also, we, we want to fit in. We, be, we want to belong. And you may see a rare, uh, how can we say, uh, some, you, you may not see them, but you know, there are these certain people, they want to be hermits. They want to live by themselves. They want to live on an island by themselves. They want to go into a cave in the remote desert and live by themselves. Maybe they just want to commune with God. But if you'll study church history and you study the, the mysticism in the church, uh, it's, it's very, very rare to find a woman hermit. Why? Women want association through fellowship and talking and conversation. They want and actually need that more than men do. So most of the hermits in church history have always been what? They've been men (laughs) because ladies like to talk and that's okay. God made them like that. But the thing is we, uh, for the majority of us, uh, there's, uh, you know, outside of the less than 1% of the 1% for everybody else, there's a strong need to fit in and to belong. Nevertheless, you feel that suffering when you're not allowed to participate in that. So sometimes that can happen and you can't get away from it. It's just who you are. It's your identity in Christ. It actually says in the scriptures that they persecuted Jesus without a cause. They didn't have anything against him. They just didn't like him. They didn't like who he was, his content, or, you know, and uh, so they persecuted him without a cause, did all kinds of things to him. But you know what? My friends, you're going to be misunderstood at times. And no matter how well you try to describe your intents, your motives, your actions, there will be some who will never get it because they just don't want to get it. They just don't like you. And really, it's because you're a child of God. And that they, they may not come out and verbally say that, but that's why. That's exactly why. Because Christ, the glory of the Lord is on you. They see that and they don't like that. Praise God. So there is righteous suffering. So my friends, I, I just believe that uh, some of these things God will allow on purpose through various things that you can't escape from. You're re- required to go through them. And as you do, as you do, uh, you'll walk right with the Lord. You'll stay humble. But most importantly, the glory stays. The presence of the Lord is there. The miracles keep happening. The good stuff keeps going on over and over and over. Praise God. So stay humble in the glory. You know, there was a, a great a great prophet uh, back in the 1800s. His name was John Alexander Dowie. And he was, he was a great Pentecostal minister, in many ways a pioneer of early Pentecostalism in America. And so this man had a tremendous miracle healing ministry. And before many witnesses one time, 
There was a woman that had a cancerous tumor on the, fa- on the side of her face about the size of a watermelon. And he went up in front of many witnesses and basically said in the name of Jesus and yanked it off, yanked it off. And when he yanked it off, there's, there were deeply uh, rooted tentacles in this huge tumor that had, you know, sunk down into the tissue of her jaw and her mouth and her face. And when he yanked the tumor off, this giant tumor with all the dangling tentacles, there were not holes. There was nothing but clean, smooth, uh, like brand new skin on the person that he yanked the tumor off. So it was, it was a miracle from God. So he operated in miracles like that and, uh, had a very dynamic ministry, but you know, towards the latter part of his life, and he only lived to be 60 years of age, but, but towards the latter part of his life, he started thinking that he was Elijah. And from that point on, his ministry began to go down, down, down. He actually thought that he was the end time Elijah, the messenger of the covenant. Let me tell you right now that Jesus was the messenger of the covenant. (laughs) And John the Baptist was the one that was the forerunner proclaiming the messenger. But Jesus was the messenger of the new covenant. Certainly not John Alexander Dowie, but yet he thought he was. He got into deception. He got into pride. He could see this gigantic ministry that he had raised up. He even started a city where he was the mayor. Uh, houses were being built and had, uh, had a city of 10,000 people. And uh, everything kind of under his control and, and oversight, it became very, um, uh, very cultish, actually. But the whole thing collapsed. But it all got off track with his what? His pride. God doing these mighty, mighty miracles and he began to get lifted up in pride, and the enemy got him. When? When he got lifted up in pride. And then he got over into deception, started thinking that he was the end time Elijah. And the next thing you know, his ministry is taking a spiral plunge. And, you know, his whole ministry went into bankruptcy, and uh, it just it fell apart. Very, very sad story. And, you know, if you look through church history, you'll see cases like this. Uh, some of the same things happened with William Branham, the great prophet back in the 1950s, who had a very, very powerful gift of word of knowledge, coupled with the gifts of healings, put that together along with good preaching. And, you know, he stood at the forefront of what was known as the healing movement back in the 1950s and you know, primarily the early 60s. But, you know, if you look at his life, William Branham began to teach some funny stuff. And a lot of his, uh, a lot of his church members and people that love this ministry, they begin to suggest to him, hey, we think that you could be the Elijah. We, We think you could be that, that end time Elijah. And, although he never really came out blatantly and said he was in, in some ways he actually said he wasn't, but he sure allowed them to voice that and broadcast that. And he listened to that all the time. And he ended up preaching some really weird messages in a sense, which basically he was saying that he thought he was also the end time Elijah and his ministry ended tragically as well. This was somebody that stood at the forefront of ministry and had a very dynamic ministry as well. So you have to be very, very careful with pride, uh, thinking that you're somebody because perhaps God's working through you, perhaps God's blessing you and the glory is there in your life. And you begin to not treat that with reverence. You begin to get a little bit of an attitude. That's very, very dangerous. And I need to share these things as the glory of God is, is in our midst. 
And by his grace, we want to see it uh, become stronger and, 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 uh, and more fuller. But my, my friends, we need to know how to respond in the glory. Praise God. I, I have to be honest. I'm kind of concerned about a certain minister. I won't say the country. If I said the country, you, you would probably know who I'm talking about. But a certain minister in Africa with a very, very powerful ministry who is giving strong hints that he's the end time Elijah. Look, when you see stuff like that, you know the person is under deception. Okay, let me, let me say this. The only person that was Elijah was Elijah. Okay, John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah. But he's, I mean, there was only one Elijah, okay? And so uh, there is no such thing as reincarnation. It's not like he showed up later in life. That, no, it's the, what that means is the same Holy Spirit that was operating on Elijah, that same Holy Spirit came on John the Baptist. Okay, that's why Jesus said, in a sense, he is Elijah because it's the same Holy Spirit working through him. But two totally different men. Okay, so if somebody today says they're the end time Elijah, that's unbiblical. It, 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 it's interesting. Why do they always want to be Elijah? Why not John the Beloved? Why not Peter? Why, what's the fascination where they always want to get hung up on, I'm the end time Elijah? Really? Why not Elisha? <laughs> right? Why not somebody else? It is a deceptive spirit that comes on these ministers that get lifted up in pride because God is doing the great miracles and the great glory. And you know, you have to be careful that a lot of that stuff can go to your head and you need to stay humble. You need to stay humble. I have in my hands here, a book that's no longer in print. It's called take your glory, Lord. Isn't the title interesting in light of what we're talking about today, staying humble? Because a lot of people, a lot of ministers, they, they get lifted up in uh, adulation of people through miracles and great signs and wonders that flows through their hand. And you have to be very careful because it's God doing all of that through a submitted vessel. Praise God. So uh, this is the life story of Pastor William Duma from South Africa. It's very hard to find this book today. You know what's interesting? I can open up this book. Look at this. This somebody bought this book, or this book used to be for sale at a used bookstore for one dollar. You can't find it anywhere today in the world for less than a hundred and fifty dollars. And uh, so if you want to get it online, it's not easy. If you can get it for somewhere less than $150, let me know, because I'd like to buy a whole bunch of them. But uh, this is a hot potato book because the publisher is no longer in existence. Uh, of course, uh, Brother Duma has gone on to heaven. Uh, much of this was written about the great miracles in his life in the 1940s. But you know what? I just wanted to share a little example with you because uh there's a great story in here about staying humble, even after a great miracle. And so the story in this book, and the story is worth the book purchase price alone. Um, there was a young girl, she was 17 years old. She got sick, got sicker, got real sick, and then died. Well, um, 
the father notified the police. The police came out, gave a death certificate, and then basically said, you know, make the preparations to get her buried and stuff like that. But the father had an overwhelming witness inside of him. Don't bury her. Wait for Pastor Duma to come back. Well, Pastor Duma was away on a on a season of fasting. He had been in a long fast, and so he came off that fasting in prayer time, and he comes back, and he's told about the 17-year-old girl that he knew quite well because she belonged to his church, and uh, he was told about the situation, so he comes uh, to pray for her, and uh, you know, to make a long story short, she was raised from the dead when he, uh, same way, just like the prophet Elisha stretched himself out over the dead body, not didn't do any mouth to mouth resuscitation or anything like that, but just laid on her and the power of God went through him. And then the power of the Holy spirit pushed him off of the girl and she was raised from the dead. Uh, this actually was such a dramatic experience for pastor Duma that for the next two weeks, he couldn't get out of bed. They had to carry him from that spot where she was resurrected from the dead. They had to carry him back to the house and he was laid out for two weeks. He actually saw everything in duplicate. He was, he was like almost like in another world. And, uh, even the young girl that was raised from the dead, she had been dead for several days, but they had to nurse her back into the physical realm, just giving her like two little teaspoons of milk every two hours. But this went through the whole community and then it went through the whole nation and, and people that knew her and, and witnessed that she had died, they would slowly in single file go by her little hut and they were allowed by the parents to look through the window in the hut and they could see her sitting there alive, still moving around uh, and getting stronger. But oh my goodness, it was a powerful experience. And of course now news press journalists began to come from all over and they all wanted an interview and Pastor Duma stuck to his you know, ironclad rule, no interviews. And I think that was very smart. I think a lot of times people make a mistake when they try to get in the flesh and, you know, uh, just hype something, even if it's, even if it's pure and holy, you have to be careful about things like that. There were times in the scriptures when Jesus told people, don't tell anybody about what just happened, about the miracle they just received. And they would run out and tell it. And, uh, you know, some of the commentators said, well, now Jesus said that on purpose to try to agitate them and get them stirred up so they would, they couldn't contain it. And they would go out on purpose and tell everybody, no, he told them, do not tell. And he meant it. Don't tell anybody. And then they'd go tell and that it would cause complications. And so my friends, uh, we need to handle the glory very reverently, very respectfully, but I want to read something to you from the book. I'm going to open this book up now, and I want to share something with you that Jesus told Pastor Duma after this great miracle of this teenage girl being raised from the dead. It says here, uh, I'm just going to jump to, um, let, me, let me jump right here. Uh, he said, I learned later that Lita, that was the name of the teenage girl, after a time had been fed two teaspoons of milk at intervals by her younger sister. Her parents were too shocked and even scared to enter the room. It was seven days before she could crawl slowly on her knees, holding onto the wall. 
when it was first known that Lita was sitting up, supported by the wall, those who had come to comfort the family fled. Later, they were allowed to pass the open window of her room in single file. They moved in awed silence to see she was really alive. Still later, people from near and far gathered each night over a period of time for services of praise and thanksgiving in the home. You know, it's fascinating because uh, Pastor Duma later said that as he talked with Lita, that Lita told him that when she was dead on the earth, her spirit and soul were in heaven with the Lord Jesus. And she was allowed with Jesus to stand at an area where there was a balcony where you could look from the balcony of heaven over and look down into the earth. And she could see that Pastor Duma was praying over her body. And Jesus told her, you're going to have to go back. Woo! Hallelujah! Praise God! Mm-mm. Uh, now I want to go a little bit further here with something that's very fitting that Jesus told the pastor. Please follow along with me as you listen. For Pastor Duma, this supernatural experience was deeply awesome. He said. Although evidences of the strong surge of the Holy Spirit in our midst have moved me to depths and heights of speechless worship, yet I never, never want in the flesh to pass again through the dark caverns of the glory of that day. He continued, there was an afterwards when God visited me and said, Duma, my servant, you sit down in the dust for the rest of your life. That which you have seen and heard was granted to you because of your great faith and humble spirit. Beware of pride. Watch and pray, lest Satan destroy you with its poison. Woo! Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Stay humble. Stay in the glory. Allow the Holy Spirit to lead you on the path of humility and embrace it. Praise God. We left California just just hours ago. Got back. You go. You know, flew all the way across the country. We're at the airport in California. Uh, you know, going up to uh, checking in, going up to the gate agent uh, or at the ticket counter. Excuse me, that's technically not the gate agent. Going up to the ticket counter, and although my wife had bought round trip tickets and on our return home we already had assigned seats i mean the tickets are paid for and my wife even went on to the airline site assigned the seats we get we get there to the counter and the ticket prints out and we have no seat assignment my wife said this this is not right she said we paid and uh we have seat assignments the lady said well uh not only do you not have seat assignments it shows that one of you are on standby for your connecting flight and my wife's like, stand by, uh, no seat assignments. You know, this is not like we're trying to get on at the last minute. We purchased these tickets weeks ago and paid for them. Already had seat assignments. She said, well, and uh, she began to go into an explanation of why something like that would happen. But nevertheless, it had happened and it could not be fixed. And so guess, guess where we got assigned to sit? Oh, Pastor Stephen, I know where you got assigned to sit. You got assigned to sit next to the pilot up front, didn't you? Because God gives you favor everywhere you go. Nope. 
Oh, well, then, Pastor Stephen, if that's not it, I know where you and your wife sat. You sat either in business or first class, didn't you? Because that's where God would put you. After all, you just finished great meetings, and the glory of God was in the meetings. You, you, you certainly must have had the royal treatment. Nope. You know where we sat? In the very back of the plane. Watch this. Not just in the back of the plane, the back seat of the back of the plane. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. The, the seat that leans right against the toilet. The seat that doesn't go back. The only two seats in the entire airplane that will not recline. And you sit there. Look, look not only that, I'm by the window. But guess what? I don't even have a window. The last seat doesn't have a window. You, you, have, a, you have a plastic thing there. It looks like there was supposed to be a window there. But there's no window. And everybody else on the entire plane has a window, except for Pastor Stephen Brooks. Well, Pastor Stephen, you just saw the glory of God. You just, you, you've been involved in miracles. Yes, that's probably the best thing that I need right now, is to sit down and be humble and sit in the back and just sit there and say, Lord, thank you. Let me never be tempted as David said, with the foot of pride, David said, let not the foot of pride come near me. Oh, Pastor Stephen, I'd like to pray that too. Well, good. You pray that and you really mean that God will put you in places where you are, where you are walking on a path of humility and there's nothing you can do about it to get out except miss your flight and catch another flight. Guess what? They said, we can't do that for you either because of the type of tickets that you have. You can't even reschedule your flight. We won't honor that. So you have to get on this flight. You have to go sit in the humble seat. <laughs> Glory. Pastor Stephen, I'm fuming mad. That's because of arrogance. Hallelujah. And I sat there back on that back seat. Everybody, you know, people lean their seats back. Everybody on the plane leans their seat back, except for who? Me and my wife. Praise God. But see, I, I would rather have that. Come on, follow with me. I'd rather have that and be in the glory. You do know the, the plane ride didn't last forever, right? I eventually got off the plane, and I have to admit, I was happy to get off the plane. But at the same time, I was sitting there talking in tongues. And really, when the plane landed and everybody else got off, there was no rush to run out of there. I was happy in the Lord. Do I want to ride back there again? No, I would prefer not to. And I'm going to try to uh, always schedule tickets and seats. Why well, I don't have to have that. But what do you do? When God takes you on that path, you enjoy it. And you say, Lord, thank you. Mm -mm. Lord, let me eat some more carpet. Hallelujah. It's good for me. It's good for my flesh. Lord, let me stay humble. Mm -mm. Glory, glory, glory. At your greatest achievement, when the miracle happens, at your greatest breakthroughs, get on the floor. Get on the floor. The Lord told Pastor Duma, sit in the dust. Because the enemy's coming now. What you have done has greatly insulted him. You have, you have even exposed the weakness of the very spirit of death. That the power of Christ is greater than that. The dead have been raised. Now sit in the dust. Mm, and the Lord told him it was because of your faith and humility that I've allowed you to experience these types of things. Mm. My friends, fly low. Oh, fly high in the spirit. But fly, fly, fly low beneath the enemy's radar. Something about the enemy's radar, he's able to pick up arrogant, bloated, 
mentality is very, very easy. They show up very easy on his radar. And he says, hit him now, counterattack. And the next thing you know, we don't even want to go there. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Glory. Glory to God. Father, I pray for your people today. That humility of heart, which is essential for carriers of the glory, be imparted into your people today. Receive in Jesus' name. Stay humble. Hallelujah. <laughs> Woo! Glory. Hallelujah. And, and those, those intentional paths where the Spirit will, ta- will take you to help you stay humble. Look, look, it doesn't last forever. Just let it do its work and then just be who you are. What's the greatest thing that you could do after a great miracle? Just, just go relax and be yourself. Go be yourself. Don't morph into some kind of monstrosity that, that the, the world or whatever would try to mold you into. You got to be this now. No, I will never be that. I will be a servant of the Lord and I will be a disciple of Christ, and I will be a person that's a carrier of the glory. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Receive. Receive, because God's taking you into the glory. These are keys of the glory. I'm going to be talking about these. Praise God. Hallelujah. Let's take communion together. Praise the Lord. Jesus came in in a very, very humble way. And they laid him down into a feed trough and wrapped him up with, you know, with the best they could do with the, uh, the, the clothes and so forth. But um, no, that was not a grand entrance. No, it wasn't. Praise God. You know, you got a cow over here. You got a donkey over here. That, no, that, that's, that's a very humble entrance. Those of you that have been to Israel, who have been to Bethlehem, know that if you want to see that site, which is actually a cave, that's where the animals were kept at, and that's where the feed trough was at, that's where the Lord was laying. If you want to actually go to that site, you literally, physically must pass through a door called the door of humility. Well, I'm not humbling myself while you knock yourself in the head. The door's only four feet high. <laughs> right? Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. And let me tell you right now, the Lord knows how to lift up, Mm -mm. bite the dust, give God the glory. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you for the bread and the blood, the juice. We sanctify it. This is now the flesh and the blood of Jesus. We give you praise. Father, thank you for his body. We receive it now by faith and we receive the humility of Christ formed in our lives. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Let's receive. Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I would suggest that when you get a great breakthrough, a great miracle, that, that you immediately get on your knees and lift your hands and praise the Lord. Well, I'm not sure what people would think, Pastor Stephen. Well, who, who cares? Who, who cares? Hallelujah. Find a place and you just get on your knees and thank the Lord. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you for the blood of Jesus. We receive it. We thank you for forgiveness of sins and for cleansing from all unrighteousness. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Father God. We give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, let's drink the blood of Christ. Glory to God. Hallelujah. My friends, stay in the glory. Walk in humility. I'll see you back 
next time. Till then, be richly blessed. Bye-bye. For more information about the ministry of Apostle Stephen Brooks, visit our website at stephenbrooks.org.